Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith and human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. And as will you light the community candle for us as well as we light the community candle, I invite you all to join with me in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. We ring this bell in solidarity with people around the world especially people in California who are fleeing from and at risk of fires. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. This is our time for meditation. So I invite you to please sit comfortably and gently close your eyes or not. Tune into your body and your surroundings. And you may have your coffee as well. <clears throat> Allow yourself to breathe naturally. Where do you feel the breath in your body? If you feel it in your stomach or abdomen area, feel the rising and falling of your belly as you breathe. If it is in the chest area, Feel the expansion and contraction of your chest as your body inhales and exhales. Perhaps it's your nostrils where maybe you feel a slight tickle as you breathe in air and the subtle warmth as you breathe out. As you feel the body breathing, try to stay 
with your breath. If your mind wanders, bring it back to your breath. Now begin the practice of compassion by connecting with a moment of difficulty or pain you have experienced in the past or recently. Compassion is the practice of being with the suffering and pain with care and attention. Please turn toward your pain and respond to it with care and intentionality by offering yourself these phrases of compassion. And please repeat after me. May I be free from suffering. May I be present for my pain. May I care for my suffering. Connect with your intention to respond with compassion to the difficulties. Now bring to mind a loved one, a friend, a teacher, or mentor, or maybe a pet. Connecting with your natural desire to see this person free from pain. Also be mindful and aware that you cannot keep them from experiencing any discomfort, but you can cultivate a mind and heart that care for their discomfort. In an effort to cultivate this intention of compassion, please repeat after me. May you be free from suffering. May you be present for my pain. May you care for my suffering. I care about your suffering. Now bring to mind a person you see maybe regularly, but don't know very well. It may be somebody you work with, a coworker, or maybe a neighbor. Although you don't know this person well, this person also experiences pain and difficulties. Again, we set the intention to care for their pain by offering some phrases of compassion. Please repeat after me. May you be free from suffering. May you be present for my pain. May you care for my suffering. I care about your suffering. Now bring to mind somebody who you find difficult. Maybe it's someone you find yourself agitated with or annoyed by. Although it may be hard for us, 
we can offer the phrases with the intention of cultivating a heart inclined towards compassion and caring, even for this person. As you think of this person, please repeat after me, may you be free from suffering. May you be present for my pain. May you care for my suffering. I care about your suffering. Now bring your attention to your breathing again. Take a deep breath in and let it out. Take a deep breath in and let it go. Breathing in and breathing out. Please repeat after me. Om Shanti 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 Peace 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 to all
a former Army chaplain and a, the first Hindu chaplain in the Department of Defense. Um, she retired this year, uh, currently ordained with the UUA, and she's serving the Goodlow Memorial UU Church in Bowie, Maryland. She's also part-time chaplain at Johns Hopkins. She has two daughters, 15 and 10, and she's married. I have a lot more to my life than those few sentences, <laughs> and I'm sure all of you do that. But I invite you at this time to enter a space of listening and paying attention to how these words that I'm going to share with you connect with you and connect with your life that you've had. I share with you the words of M. Scott Peck, one of my favorite American authors. There can be no vulnerability without risk. There can be no community without vulnerability. There can be no peace and ultimately no life without community. It is our task, our essential, central, crucial task to transform ourselves from mere social creatures into community creatures. Although the act of nurturing another's spiritual growth when they are in pain has the effect of nurturing one's own pain and spirituality, a major characteristic of genuine love. M. Scott's words remind me of a childhood memory. I was about your age. What is your name? Leona? Fiona. Beautiful name. So I was about your age. I was only six years old maybe younger. I heard my mom call out to me with an urgency in her voice to accompany her to a neighbor's house. Mom did not tell me the reason for the visit. I guess the times were different. Our parents did not explain a whole lot, of a, whole lot to us. She asked me to help her carry food, clothing, and other necessary items to the neighbor's house. And so I did what I was asked to do and followed her nervously. I instinctively picked this up from her tense body language until we reached our destination. The scene that awaited us when we arrived has stood etched in my mind to this day. A very frail-looking woman dressed in a white sari, the Indian dress for women, remember Hindus, wear white during the time of death, sat very still, almost like a statue, while her head covered with the other end of a sari. She had no expression on her face. She seemed to be in shock, as if she had been robbed of something. Women sat around her, surrounding her, touching her hair, her body, caressing her, comforting her. But the said woman sat there unaffected. The men sat away at a distance with a white scarf or cloth covering their heads as a mark of respect for the dead body that lay in the center of the room. The woman who sat in shock was the widow of the man who had died. Suddenly the mood in the room changed when a group of women descended into the room out of nowhere and surrounded the widow. These were the professional criers or wailers called Rudali in the Indian language. They are usually summoned as a last resort when the person affected the most does not show any emotional reaction 
or refuses to cry at the loss of a loved one for a prolonged period of time. So they began to cry, slowly at first, and then with an intensity that began to touch and affect almost everyone in the room. They continued to cry until the widow broke down and began to shed her own tears after almost an eternity seemed to have passed. The widow cried for hours after that and even after the professional whalers had left. Then the other women forced the widow to drink water and to eat some food as she had refused food or water since her husband's death almost a day ago. After this, the widow retired to her room exhausted while the other women continued to take care of the family members and friends present at the wake. Mom and the women in the community pitched in while, with cooked food while the men pitched in with the funeral and the last rites and other chores of responsibility for almost a few months until the widow and her children could begin to care for themselves again. The story that I shared with you today was my remarkable initiation into how to be the community of comfort for those who had experienced the loss of a loved one. As I said before, my parents were not concerned about shielding me from the reality of death, but allowed me to participate in an event where I witnessed my mother act out the how to be the community in the time of people's greatest need and pain. I learned how to be a chaplain that day from my mom and the other caring folks in the community of my childhood. I also learned to cry for others without shame that day. And after witnessing and participating in innumerable deaths after that first time, I knew how not to hesitate to step in whenever people have needed me to on various occasions. However, the very expectation of will you cry with me today takes many by surprise as they may lack a knowledge of what and how to be in that moment exactly or awkwardly. And so I'm especially and pleasantly surprised to find many grown-ups avoid any situation that demands or expects an emotional response from them, especially when someone opens the floodgates of tears that refuses to stop. It is almost a cue for many in our modern-day society to run and bolt. As M. Stott says, said, it is our task, our essential, central, crucial task, to transform ourselves from mere social creatures into community creatures. Being a community for someone is not the same as being friendly or social. The fact is that tears or someone's crying calls us at a deeper level of commitment. It calls us to dig in our heels deeper, even if it, is, if it slows us or keeps us from going somewhere else. But to respond in a way that fulfills a need in the person affected. And so it is not about me, but about the person who has perhaps lost the most valued relationship in the world and as they have known it. So the community is to idly step in and provide that relationship which the person concerned has lost. And yes, for as long as it takes, as they say, every person grieves differently. But according to research, grieving usually takes years and sometimes people may never recover till as long as they live. And yet a compassionate community still makes a huge difference in the way individuals can feel or have a sense of how to view or face their grief.
In our society today, mostly people take a few days off from work to complete funeral arrangements and then go right back to work. Though it is great to throw ourselves in work and the structure it provides, however, it does not allow the individual affected to grieve fully. It is interesting to note that most ancient cultures have certain death rituals that allow the person a minimum of 40 to 60 days or even years to grieve fully. Like the ancient Chinese people wait almost three years before selling the house in which the deceased person lived before they passed away to fully honor their memory. The Jewish people observe the festival of Yom Kippur to atone for their sins and also mourn the dead and all their ancestors by saying the Kaddish, the prayer for the dead. They do this each year according to the dates given by the lunar calendar. The Hawaiian people, on the other hand, float paper lanterns on the waters in the memory of the dead during the same time each year. The Catholics observe the All Souls Day or the Day of the Dead. While the Hindus in India observe Pitri Paksh, Pitri means ancestors and Paksh means four. During the same time of the year, offering homage to the people they have lost in the past. These rituals are reminders of the relationship or relationships that we have lost as individuals throughout the various cultures or religions of this world. But what about the opportunity that this very moment of loss calls us to? Of forming new relationships or deepening the existing ones. To initiate or to start this process is to learn to cry with others. Will you cry with me today? Being called at a deeper level of community also means that we are expected to commit more of our time and resources than we could share, than we could care to believe that it is even needed. Believe me, it is needed more today than we care to think. Look around us. There are scores of people that surround us who are grieving inwardly daily, moment to moment even, but hiding it so well because the community is so friendly but will they cry with me is the question. Will they give me the time that I need? Can I risk being vulnerable or can the community risk being vulnerable with the person? You know, it is harder for people not grieving to approach the person or persons that are than the actual person who is grieving to approach others. We have almost lost the art of being a community creature rather than a social creature. The simple truth is that we should respond to the present need of the person concerned, not deal with the past, not the future, simply the present cry for pain. Simple and yet the hardest thing to do is to be present without having the need to fill in the moment with words or anything else other than silence. You know, silence is a blessing, but not your absence. So be present, be there in person, even if it is to hold the person's hand or to even wipe away their tears. This is not a moment to solve a situation, but to be the solution. Your presence, your needful actions that fulfill the basic needs is the solution. Your presence, even if silent, will be remembered and cherished for years to come. This moment is also the community's chance at being free from the fear of how to respond in the time of need. 
Often fear is the root cause of avoidance of being faced with someone's pain or that which may become the trigger for our own internal pain. This also tests the individuals in the community and also challenges our communities to become stronger emotionally and spiritually. We cannot experience a freedom from fear unless we allow ourselves to see our own pain be reflected in someone else's eyes. The hardest part is trusting others with what hurts us the most. And unless we get into the deeper waters of experience, of the moment of grief, loss, or death with someone else, we cannot even begin to call ourselves a community creature or a community of faith. Faith asks us to step forward where we are challenged, not where we are comfortable. I repeat, faith asks us to step forward where we are challenged, not where we are comfortable. Faith asks us to stop looking at the watch or when to step out as an escape every time we are expected to cry with someone or just be there even when our own tears do not come. But be there as genuinely as possible, which is whatever comes naturally to you, except, yes, running away. Harold Krishner rightly quipped, what cannot be achieved in one lifetime will happen when one lifetime is joined to another. So will you join me in crying with me today? In our lifetime, we can almost see the beautiful and compassionate community that we are capable of creating. When, when one life is bonded to the life of another human being in a way that it is almost an emotional risk with someone and yet a risk worth taking this morning and the many mornings and days to come. So we could all cry together in unity for a very good reason, my friends. Let us get over the emotional hurdle of opening our hearts and souls to others or even strangers around us. Let us widen our circle of trust so life, even after death, could seem fully possible of living through the pain of tears, through the sorrow of missing someone so much that it hurts beyond words, but not as much because we are not alone but called to be surrounded by a community and to be the community for that someone, which could be either you, me, or the person who just walked into our gathering today. Blessed be. John David wrote New Day, on which this arrangement the chorus will sing is based. He wrote it after a blow in his personal life and feeling grief, as well as worry, about possible nuclear disaster. He wrote this in 1978, and we offer it now as a moment of reflection on the courage that grief takes.